Our scripture today is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I urge Uodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, I thank you that in a world that needs hope, your word um, reveals to us the kingdom that is here and that is on its way. And Lord, I thank you that uh, your, your kingdom as revealed in your, world, in your word flies in the face of so much of what we see in the news and around us. Lord, I pray that as your, your people in this outpost of your kingdom, that we would find our strength, um, our unity, um, our focus, our true north in you and your word, so that we may have that hope ready to share with those who need it, who are lost, who are faced with a world that is upside down and inside out, and they don't have any reference point Lord, I thank you that you are our reference point, that you are unchanging, you are always the same, you are faithful, you are our rock that we can hold on to. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. So we're three weeks into our series, um, which is uh, highlighting the enemies of gratitude. I'm just going to move this forward a little bit so that those... There we go. All right. Highlighting the um, enemies of gratitude. And an ungrateful Christian is a bit of an oxymoron uh, because, a, because we've received the greatest gift. We've received hope beyond measure. We've received the most unexpected, wonderful present of life in Christ. And so if we are ungrateful Christians, then we are an oxymoron. And so a lack of gratitude in the life of a Christian is a sign that something is 
really wrong. Something is wrong. And just like in any war, our war against the enemies of gratitude, it's important that we know our enemies, that we study their tactics, their strengths, and their origins. So the first week we looked at how spiritual nostalgia, this unrealistic longing for the past, um, how it, it has a negative impact on how we view the past, how we view the present, and how we view the future. So nostalgia was the first enemy. The next enemy was almost the opposite of nostalgia because we said that nostalgia is thinking too much of the past and the next enemy was amnesia. So too much memory with nostalgia, now not enough memory with amnesia. And then we looked at the dangers of having on the one hand not enough money or resources and then on the other hand having too much money or resources both too much and too little resources can cause us to forget the Lord and this morning's enemy can also be connected to money just as it can be tied to many things relationships education work health or politics or society and this enemy's name is called worry everyone say worry 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 is an enemy of gratitude and we've all experienced worry in the past and we will experience worry in the future and many of us are experiencing worry right now hands up if you're experiencing worry on some level this morning okay look around be encouraged there are lots of fellow worriers of course all the worriers don't want to be seen so you put your hand down as fast as you can right because <laughs> you're worried about what other people are going to think my hand is way high And so at the start of this teaching on worry, let me start with the perfect verse that strikes the perfect tone of sensitivity, of empathy, and understanding. Here it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Of course, I'm being sarcastic when I say this is the right tone of empathy and understanding. Don't worry. Instead, rejoice. Have a smile on your face. Thanks, Paul. Actually, it's a great place to start because Philippians 4, 4 to to 5, uh, in, in these verses, Paul introduces us to two very compelling attributes of the Christ follower, both joy and gentleness. Joy on the one hand, gentleness on the other. Now, if you were to ask me to name a joyful Christian, I could do that very, very quickly. And if you were to ask me to name a gentle Christian, I could do that also very, very quickly. But to name a Christian who is joyful and gentle, I think I'd have to think a little bit longer about that. But what a winning mix, what a winning combination this is when you think about it. Joy on the one hand and gentleness on the other. Paul commands us to rejoice in the Lord and he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice. Our joy is not rooted in the flimsy things that this world has to offer. Our joy, our rejoicing is located elsewhere. It's located in the Lord. So what kind of things do we rejoice in? Here are some examples. Rejoice in that, uh, sorry, Luke 6.23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven. However, don't rejoice. 
that their spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven, Luke 10, 20. Now he came near the path down the mountain of olives and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice. Why? For all the miracles that they had seen. Luke 19. Luke seems to have this recurring theme of joy. We also rejoice that Jesus rejoices in us when he had found it. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. This is the parable of the lost sheep. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. So Jesus rejoices in you if you are his sheep. We can even rejoice if we suffer in his name. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Can you wrap your mind around that? We also rejoice that Jesus is no longer with us, but that he has returned to heaven. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father because the Father is greater than I and the Father sent the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is one who communicates Jesus' presence to us all. Because he has gone there, we now have access to him, all of us. That is why we rejoice and we rejoice that we will one day see him. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will be able to take that joy away from you. John 16, 22. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we can and should rejoice in the Lord always. This is our birthright. This is our rebirthright in Jesus. And then perhaps this is my favorite verse on joy. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That, that is happening now. That's not waiting until the next life, until the new heavens and the new earth, but you are receiving the goal of your faith even now. Therefore, you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Our joy is rooted in something or someone far, far deeper, far more profound than our circumstances. And Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians uh, 6 verse 10. As grieving, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet enriching many. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. We are to rejoice in the Lord. And again, Paul says, rejoice. And yet we're not called to be triumphant nincompoops who go around annoying the heck out of everyone else with our absurd grins and our manic eyes. That's not what God has called us to. And just as we can think of a joyful Christian and a gentle Christian, we can also think of a manic-eyed, grinning Christian. I hope that's not me. There's something that masquerades as joy, but is merely the whipping of yourself into a frenzy. And this facsimile of joy can easily steamroll over people. Actually, even 
genuine, real joy can turn people off depending on where they find themselves. And maybe you're sat here thinking, I wish you'd stop speaking about joy because I've had a crappy week. A miserable person will take your joy as a personal affront. Jesus was the most joyful person who ever lived, and yet he was also the one who, according to Matthew 12, verse 20, he did not bruise, he did not break a bruised reed or put out a flickering candle. In other words, Jesus was, was fully joyful and fully gentle. Not 50-50, 100% of both. And so we as his followers, we are to similarly work out a balance in our joy that could easily drive our friends either over the edge or up a wall with gentleness. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Joy balanced with graciousness or gentleness or reasonableness, depending on the translation that you use. What does it mean to have reasonable joy uh, reasonable faith what does it mean for us to be gentle and gracious in the way that we maybe conduct ourselves in the world friends when you are filled with the spirit and filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy it can feel like there's nothing that you can't do and so Paul gently brings us down with a reminder that your graciousness, your gentleness, your reasonableness is to be known to everyone around you. And I love that it's the passive uh, voice that's used here. Let it be known. Because what this is saying is that if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then that gentleness is already in you. That reasonableness is already in you. Not naturally there, but there because of the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you exhale the gentleness that he has. Very famous verse, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is joy and gentleness. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit breathes his joy into you and you breathe out his gentleness. He breathes his joy into you and you breathe out his, his gentleness. You breathe in joy, you breathe out gentleness. You breathe in joy and you breathe out gentleness. So what does this gentleness look like that we're breathing out? Let's look at a couple of passages. Titus 3, 1 to 2 says this, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to everyone. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, an overseer therefore must be above reproach, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. 
James 3, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above, not naturally inside yourself, but from the Lord is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Are you cultivating peace in your life? A life of, a life which is grateful, a worry-resistant life is one that balances joy with gentleness. And when I think of a life that balances joy and gentleness, I think of a life that is even-keeled, I think of a life that is steady, that is dependable and mature. A worry-resistant life, a grateful life, is also a life where worries are replaced by requests. Instead of worrying, you are praying. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, Philippians 4 verse 6. Or, as we read in this translation, don't, what does it say? It says, don't be disturbed, but in everything, in prayer and in requests, with thanks, let your asks be made known to God. Let your asks be made known to God. Have you got asks? Have you got things that you want him to fix or solve or you're wondering about? Have you got asks? If you do, then you should let him know them. You shouldn't internalize them. And again, it's a passive voice right? It said earlier, let your gentleness be known, and now let your asks be made known, which, is, which means that there is an assumption that those asks, those questions, are already in you. They're already there inside every single one of you, and if they're there, then let them out. Let them breathe. Let them have words to them. Don't stifle them. Having said that, you cannot just tell someone to stop worrying because telling a worrier to stop worrying only makes that worrier worry more. When I quit smoking, see if you can see which one I am. When I I quit smoking, I discovered that I needed something else to do with my hands. My hands were so used to, you know, putting the tobacco in the paper and then rolling it. Oh, well, no, actually, and then finding a filter. If I had a filter, I'd put the filter in, then I'd roll it, then I'd lick it, and then I'd stick it, and then I'd put it in my finger. I'd get the lighter, I'd light it. That, that, that my hands were so used to it that this ritual, this habit had to be replaced afterwards. It was a whole thing. It wasn't just about the nicotine or the smoke. It was a habit. It was a ritual. And I found afterwards that I had to replace that habit with something else. It wasn't enough for me just to stop smoking. And so maybe this is now why I crack my knuckles or I chew pens or I chew gum. Maybe this is why I love my prayer bracelet because it gives me something to do with my hands that's not rolling a ciggy. And so for the chronic worrier, You need to give them something to play with instead of the worry. Because 
Like it or not, worry is a habit, just like a ten a day cigarette habit. And just like smokes, worry is also bad for your health. You will not live as long. And so Paul makes it super practical. He says, instead of worrying, pray. Friends, we were created in the Garden of Eden to experience an uninterrupted flow of love and communication with Almighty God, with the one who created us. This is what the Garden of Eden was all about, walking with God in the cool of the day. And so I want you to start thinking about worry as potential communication. Worry is potential communication. Worry is unexpressed prayers. Worry is, is prayer, but like a fetus of prayer. It's not yet formed. And so when you find yourself worrying, what that means is that there is a prayer waiting to be expressed. There is a prayer that is unexpressed. And life with worries, but without prayer, is a bit like an unflushed toilet. If you allow... It gets worse. (laughs) If you allow the worries of your life to build up without being flushed away, have a guess what happens. You're going to have a catastrophe on your hands. You're going to have a big mess to clean up afterwards. I can see that a number of you struggling with this, but you're going to remember it. That's the point. And it takes so much more effort to clean up the big mess especially when compared with the minor inconvenience of flushing the toilet a few times a day. So friends, you need to keep your worry, your worry life flushed. And the only way to do that is to send the worries where they're supposed to go, into the ear of Almighty God. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about so many things, but one thing is necessary, Luke 10, 41. And worry thrives because it's so hard for us to get a grip on it. It so so often operates at the level of the subconsciousness, meaning that you don't even know the worry is there until it's way too late. Those whispers start in your head under the audible level. But they grow and grow and grow. And before you know it, all you have resounding in your head are the voices of anxiety and worry. And then they break out into panic, into fully formed panic. This is why counseling is so important. This is why having friends to talk to is so important. A problem shared is a problem halved. And the greatest friend that we have is the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. He is the counselor. So we need our human friends, at least one or two. I was at The Verge this week. I, um, over the past three years, I've been meeting with a group of pastors, um, and they've been like life in my life. I've been meeting with them over Zoom, but uh, over these past couple of weeks, I've just been thinking in my head, something has to give. Something has to give. I cannot really do all that I'm meant to. And so I was right on the verge of just writing to them and our coach and just saying, you know what, that's it. I'm done. But then I thought, 
if I don't have that, what am I replacing it with? What else do I have? And so I said, no, I have to hold on. So we need our friends, we need our human friends, and we need the Lord. And here's the beautiful thing. When we give voice to our worries in prayer, we get God's peace in return. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is a promise. When you flush the toilet, not only does all the mess go away where it's supposed to, but clean water then comes in and fills up the bowl. And when our prayers send our worries where they need to go, where they should go, that space that they previously occupied is filled with God's peace. I bet you never thought you'd hear of God's peace described as toilet water, but that's where we're at this morning. It's the clean water. It fills in that space. Now, of course, the challenge for many of us is whether we can truly believe passages like Philippians 4 and whether they can actually be applied to our lives. Can we truly know the peace and the shalom of God through channeling the joy and the gentleness of the Holy Spirit? Can worry actually be replaced by requests with thanksgiving? And the answer is yes. You see, these words were penned to give advice into a very real world world situation where there were two women who were in conflict and to a church who were watching from the sidelines. Verse 2, I I, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Euodia and Syntyche were likely deacons in the church and they were gloves off ready to go. And it's not just Euodia and Syntyche in this mess. There's someone else called the true partner who's involved as is Clement and the rest of Paul's co-workers. So there's a lot of people involved in this situation. And friends, there's very little that will sap your energy, your spiritual energy, your joy more than conflict. Maybe long-term sickness will, maybe debt will, but conflict is as real as it gets. There are many sincere followers of Jesus Christ who have been hobbled by lack of agreement and letting that lack of agreement turn into conflict. So this thing with Euodia and Syntyche is as real as it gets. And into the middle of that mess, Paul says to them in the church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. He says to them in that mess, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. He says to them in that mess, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests yeah, to God. He says that to them while they're in the middle of that mess. In the middle of the messiness of interpersonal aggro he says this and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus so keep that toilet flushed keep turning your worries into prayers every situation is a situation where God is let me say that again every situation is a situation where God is and God is all through our passage 
right? Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord is near. Verse 6, present your request to who? To God. And then verse 7, the shalom of God. Whatever situation you are in, you can know God's overwhelming joy. You can channel his gentleness. You can present your requests. You must present your requests. And you can know God's shalom. You know, Philippians 4, 1 through 9 starts off looking like it's all about Euodia and Syntyche, but really it's all about God. If you focus on the people and on the situation, then your joy shrivels and your gentleness is replaced with rage and you stew in your worry juices. But that's not how it's supposed to be because God is near there's another thing that I want to see you, uh, want you to see in, in these verses is the totality of the modifiers. I wasn't sure what to call this. I spent so long trying to figure out, you know, going back to my English from the GCSEs and all this stuff. I'm not sure what to call it, but I'm calling it the totality of the modifiers. Let me explain. What I see in these verses is that, is that God is calling us into completeness there is nothing left out in these verses there are no situations that are excluded from what God is calling us into let me explain or show you rejoice in the Lord when how often always verse 4 let your graciousness be known to whom to some people to your friends or to everyone Verse 5, don't worry about what? Some things, most things, 50% of the things, that one thing that you have control over? No, it says don't worry about anything. And in which situations are you supposed to present your requests? In everything, present your requests. Verse 6, and the peace of God which surpasses how much understanding? All those things that you can maybe make sense of? No, all understanding, everything, God's peace surpasses that. So you've got always, everyone, anything, everything, and all in these short verses. This is what I mean by the totality of the modifiers. And what this means is that our joy, our graciousness, our prayerfulness, or God's peace cannot be dependent on what you did or did not do yesterday, or what happened to you or did not happen to you last week. Your joy as a follower of Christ, your gentleness, your turning worries into prayers has its foundation in something far, far deeper known as the peace of God or the shalom of God, which is God's promise that he will bring his rule about that he will renew his world, that he will establish his kingdom and his reign on earth. That's what God's shalom is. God's shalom that will one day spread from one end of the cosmos right over to the other begins right here in the middle of your conflict, your debt, your health concerns, all your worries. This is where God's shalom starts And this worry that can so easily steal your joy and your gentleness instead becomes the staging ground for God mounting an invasion of joy and peace and prayerfulness in your life and then through you into the world around you. It's all about God. Four times God is mentioned. God, God, the Lord, the Lord. 
And it's also all about everything, always, everyone, anything, everything and all understanding. And it's also about God's shalom or God's peace, the fact that God is on the throne and that you can trust him. And verse 7 and verse 9, we're introduced to these uh, kind of companion phrases, the peace of God and the God of peace. Verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then verse 9, do what you have learnt and received and heard from me and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. The peace of God guards, stands guard outside your heart and your mind. You are not alone because there is a century posted, which is God's peace. The God of peace is with you. Verse 5 says, the Lord is near. God's God is, is near. And if you're still doubting that this passage works, then know this, that it has been tested. It's FDA approved. How do we know this? Because these are the because these principles are the principles that got Jesus through his hardest time on earth. It was the joy that got him through the cross. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross. Hebrews twelve verse two. And then on the cross, in the middle of his unparalleled suffering, Jesus found the strength to be gracious and gentle, reasonable. He said this. Luke 23, 28. And turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. This is Jesus being gracious. Verse 33 to 34. They crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right, one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. The joy and the gentleness of the Holy Spirit carried Jesus through. Not only that, it was in his suffering on the cross and before in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus practiced turning his worries into prayer. And we see that most clearly in his prayer in the garden as he contemplated what it would cost for him to bear the sins of the world, including yours. And he said this, Father, if you are willing take this cup away from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done then an angel of heaven appeared to him strengthening him the prayer was offered and the prayer was answered he didn't internalize his fears he didn't just sit there stewing he gave full voice to his anxieties and worries and as his worries intensified so did Jesus's praying being in anguish he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground friends rejoicing in the Lord always does not mean faking it it means being as real as Jesus on the cross who relied on the on the joy of the Lord to see him through the joy of the Lord was his strength and it is yours too. And so when we sing those songs this morning, you know, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not trying to smile our way through suffering. Being gentle or gracious in the middle of life's trials does not mean becoming a doormat. 
It means counting on and relying on the fact that the Lord is near. He is at your hand. He is the truest reality in your life. He's right there ready to help you love your neighbor just like Christ forgave his murderers and his mockers on the cross. And friends, turning your worries into prayers isn't a bumper sticker slogan. It's a survival technique. And if you don't know what to pray in these dark nights of the soul, then I encourage you to revisit the sermon I preached on the 6th of August when we heard this incredible truth that if you don't know what to pray, the Spirit is groaning for you as the Father is searching the rooms of your soul. When we live a life of joy, balanced with gentleness, a life of worry replaced by requests, we are given this incredible promise and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And this peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which stands as a sentry and guard at the doorway to your hearts and minds, this peace of God in Christ Jesus is demonstrated in the final words of surrender that Jesus prayed before he died. Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. Father, into your hands, I entrust my spirit. And brothers and sisters, the same invitation is offered to you to entrust your worries into the Father's hands and to receive his peace. Maybe this morning you have yet to trade in your, your sins for his grace. Maybe you've never experienced his salvation. Maybe you're still living uh, under that incredible weight of shame. If so, I invite you just to be honest with him, to confess your sins to him and receive his forgiveness and his Holy Spirit his life. And if you do know Jesus, but you have worries that you've not yet flushed away in prayer, I invite you to come and do business with God. Give him your worries. Even if you doubt, hand them to him and receive his joy, his gentleness, and his peace. And so as the team comes up, let me pray and let me just invite you as well. Mm -hmm.